Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On this week's show, we're going to see if I can get through the introduction segment without screwing up majorly. Um, <laughs> but um, we're going to discuss a broad subject, which we're labeling under the heading of tech companies. But as we'll get into a bit throughout our show, it's, that name isn't really quite accurate because the companies that we're going to talk about today, companies like Uber and DoorDash and um, everything Elon Musk does and various cryptocurrencies, really, these are companies operating in wildly different industries, but they are united under the name of tech in a lot of minds. And really what unites them is a shared ethos, a shared way of marketing really that um you know where they pretend to be something that they are not um this is a subject that i've been wanting to discuss um for a while now but recent news headlines have uh, rendered it fairly relevant uh, i mean just today cryptocurrencies are crashing uh you know following the various crashes they had the last couple of weeks um Everything seems to be falling apart at once in some ways. Uh, Noah, this was your topic idea. Oh, thanks. Um, First of all, by the way, as we record this, cryptocurrencies are crashing. And the reason that the stock market is heading for its worst month since March 2020 is that apparently some cryptocurrencies gave money to hedge funds. So now that part of the market is openly exposed to crypto crashing, which is great. Normal country. Awesome. Everyone said this wouldn't happen. And yet here we, except for, you know, a few weirdos that got tagged as communists or uh, Luddites. Luddites. That was a very popular one. And turns out yet again, the Luddites were right. Imagine that. Uh, Let's just, this is going to be our most come at us episode that we've done in a while because there are a lot of people who nominally have politics that are more on our end of things than anything that for some reason still seem like they can't get their heads around the fact that these things are bad and that in many cases there is literally no saving them uh there there's no way in which they can be good that i think we're we might get some interesting emails after this one i can't can't wait to see that but the reason I the reason I I kind of wanted to bring this up is because I think under the under the extremely lax regulatory regime enabled by the Trump administration by his weirdo friends on the Supreme Court, including friend of the show Neil Gorsuch, um, by the fact that we have a Congress that doesn't do anything except give more money to Ukraine and to boats that are allergic to water and planes that kill their pilots. I'm told that's no longer happening, but I'll believe it when I see it. And the police protection of, to and police protection. 
Yes. No, no, no. To Brett Kavanaugh first. Oh, sorry. Yeah. My bad. I got our friends of the show mixed up. They should, yeah. They should probably be protecting the bars from him after 5 p.m., but that's neither here nor there. The point of all of this is that under the past four or five years, there's an explosion of these corporations basically running up the score. They know they can do whatever they want because nobody is going to stop them. They have, uh, what is it, Proposition 22 was it in California that basically restricted the rights of gig workers by reclassifying them as this third thing, which you always want to be the third thing. Uh, the one time that I guess that was popular with voters question mark. Um, and who were convinced by a massive blitz from these tech companies. And I think that kind of told them exactly how far they could push. And they've been doing that pretty much since 2020 nonstop at this point. They're trying to see how far they can take it before somebody slaps them down. You are beginning to see efforts in Congress to do things like regulate the ability of Google and Microsoft to preference their own products in front of others. You're beginning to see laws in Congress that could restrict uh, the fees that Google and Apple can charge for app developers, which is a big driver of costs for developing those apps. You're seeing regulations mostly at the local level on things like DoorDash and Grubhub. And there are continuing attempts to regulate Uber, mostly resisted by Obama uh, administration alumni, who for some reason are in the pocket of this company now. And then you've got Elon Musk, which is his own topic, as he always is, because our entire universe orbits around this man who has two working brain cells at any time that aren't stoned. And the result of all of this is that we have a tech class, as you put it, not really there's not really a use of technology that unites them. Really, the ethos that unites them is that they see the government correctly as a giant piggy bank for private businesses, and they wanted to subsidize flouting labor laws, you know, the ones that the government passes in the first place. So it's it's very hard to argue that at this point, the underlying ethos of all of this is not grift, is not graft, is not corruption, is not... Uh, all of this 72-point air quote disruption and innovation and whatever is really just another name for finding ways around established law to treat people worse. Workers, and at this point, if you've been seeing what the prices are on a lot of these apps, customers, which you would think would finally result in a backlash, but I guess we're at the point in capitalism where you can't even expect that. Even the loss of convenience and price points isn't enough anymore. Yeah, uh, you mentioned a lot of the things that we're going to touch on over the course of this segment. Uh, just just to pick out one, uh, you mentioned uh, DoorDash uh, coming under scrutiny in New York. Uh, DoorDash and companies like it, I should say. To quote from an Eater article last September, uh, New York City's new law approved by the city council this summer is one of many recent regulations that target the exploitative nature of third-party delivery apps. This law would simply allow restaurants and their customers to share a direct relationship instead of having mega-sided delivery companies be the gatekeepers and control the marketplace, often at everyone else's expense. Andrew Reige, executive director of the New York Hospitality Alliance, told Amsterdam News. Um, to put that into, um, I guess, layman's terms, one thing that these uh, companies like Grubhub and DoorDash have succeeded in is sort of 
placing themselves between consumers and the restaurants where they're actually eating from. DoorDash and Grubhub, for the most part, are not making the food that they deliver. They're relying on the established brands of restaurants to do marketing for them. But they are taking significant cuts of every purchase made through the apps and using that leverage over restaurants. Uh, We talked in the past how several years ago now at this point, uh, how Grubhub was um, replacing restaurant phone numbers on Yelp with their own numbers so that they could get referral fees for any orders that went through those numbers without uh, the customer effectively being able to interact directly with the restaurant, which is what this New York City law you know, attempts to address. Another thing mentioned in this Eater article is how, um, you know, DoorDash and the like keep troves of user data that restaurants don't have access to. Restaurants are sort of kept from knowing who their customers are and, you know, from having the benefits of that knowledge. Um, This bill would open up that data to restaurants, which, you know, if you're a customer, you know, maybe isn't the best thing. But if you are a restaurant that uh, is sort of beholden to these apps currently, being able to cut out the middleman is a step in the right direction. And I, I think that the idea of these companies as middlemen is really um, important because that's all they are to a large degree. They are simply just extracting rents off of industries and markets that were already there they've simply imposed themselves on top of and in the middle of through generous subsidies of venture capital over the last decade well i mean and that's that's part of the ethos that that noah was talking about is the the fact that they they're basically making passive income they run an app they run a website that's it that they're not doing any other work they're not uh running the restaurants they're not um you know, they're, yeah, they're not doing anything. It's all somebody else's labor that they're doing. They've just inserted themselves. So in the sense they are a disruptor, um, in the only sense that the disrupting is not actually adding any value whatsoever to anything. Though you, you say they aren't the restaurant and I sort of said the same earlier, but, um, it was noted, um, a couple of years ago, how, uh, Grubhub and DoorDash have been opening up um, ghost kitchens where they effectively make simulacrums of restaurant food and pass it off as, in some cases, as the restaurant's food itself. But all the money goes to DoorDash and Grubhub because they're the ones making the food using um, some remarkably cheap labor for that purpose uh, instead of, you know, the chefs and the people who work at restaurants for real, these are teenagers hired and paid very little because as we've discussed at length on punching out in the past, uh, that's how the gig economy operates is by paying (laughs) people very little. Yeah. uh, Ghost kitchens. So you can produce, I I believe there's a quote in the, it might be in the tree hugger article Mm -hmm. as opposed to the eater article, but it, it mentions the operator of a ghost kitchen saying no chefs, I can grab a bunch of 19-year-olds, train them in a week, and they can do 12 different menus with little to no supervision. The other day, I noticed when looking to maybe order food 
um, how many different restaurants I was seeing all came back with the same address. And I looked it up and they are admitting it. It's, it's out of, I, I think it's out of a Walmart near here. Hmm. There's something like 40 or 50 different restaurants, like all ghost kitchen in this little place. And I don't really know what the arrangement is on the back end. You have to imagine that the the chain is still profiting in some way, shape, or form from doing that because otherwise, what's the point? Uh, you you would think DoorDash and Grubhub would be awash in lawsuits from Cinnabon and whatnot um, for the money they're losing on this. And like it, it, it's such a distillation, right? Because during the pandemic – Takeout services and delivery were suddenly sacred, right? Mm-hmm. And now we all have a collective, and and we're not really allowed to talk about how sacred they became because now we all have the collective trauma that line cook was the deadliest profession in the United States for two years, and we all participated in that. We all had a little bit of guilt in that by continuing to push these services as the the thing that was necessary for the economy to survive. And it turns out that you don't even need the actual restaurant anymore. All you need is a countertop where you can yell out DoorDash order, whatever, Grubhub, whatever, order for name here. Like it, it's really completely, um, again, I just keep coming back to this. Like it, it's just stripped out everything from the concept, except the fact that you can do it from your phone. That's it. You're not getting better prices. You're not getting better service. You're not getting anything except that you can do it on an app without talking to a human. That's it. And and that's, I think, what they were all banking on, that they could get us to accept that as the mode of transaction. And it, given the past two years, it kind of doesn't look like they were wrong. And that, I think, is is the real dangerous bit of this. But we'll get more to that eventually. Um, yeah. my, my parents were in New York City this past weekend, and one thing they noticed they were walking here, not Ben and yes, uh, as we were walking on the sidewalks and the streets, <laughs> uh, one thing they noticed was they didn't just have to look for oncoming cars, but for bicyclists. And a lot of bicyclists are, of course, people just going about their day, but a great many of the bicycles on the streets of New York City are carrying food from one restaurant to one customer. The Bikes are everywhere, the delivery riders, and, you know, they're trying to make their money. You know, there's nothing wrong with that inherently, but we've talked in the past about how the speed at which they are forced to work is a real danger to themselves and to um, those around them, but primarily to themselves, because on a bike, you are exposed to far more things than you are if you are sitting in a car seat. As you said, no, over the pandemic, you know, these things ballooned and that gives them a real power in like the shape of the restaurant industry. If they want to partner with uh, every chain restaurant there is and create these deals that benefit both sides of that, it will come at the expense of restaurants that are not able to afford those deals, that are not able to uh, license out their menus for a ghost kitchen in a warehouse and are still stuck employing, you know, the same number of people that they've always been able to fit in their restaurant itself. You know, there's sort of a, a mismatch that creates between the capacity for some restaurants to 
produce food and to carry out orders compared to that of others. And uh, this tree hugger article really laments the idea that, you know, these sorts of services and these ghost kitchens could spell doom for smaller restaurants. And a lot of small restaurants and bars have not survived the pandemic. And, and that the, the pace of work is exactly, or is one of the many issues with, these apps is there's no human ever that can keep up with the pace of electrons zipping around and radio signals um, to make me sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist. Uh, But these companies can set the pace of work on both their, their employees, 72 point air quotes and restaurants. Um, Grubhub just a few weeks ago um, from this guardian article from I'm not sure when. From just a few weeks ago. From just a few weeks ago. Um, I heard that, that somewhere. Yeah. Whoa. whoa who said that? Uh, that the Grubhub offered $15 off any order made in the New York City area between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Restaurants across the city were inundated. Uh, a general manager at Ha 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 Mexicana in West Village called it a something I actually can't repeat here. Um, but these restaurants had no part in this decision. Grubhub unilaterally said, Hey guys, $15 off your free meal for anything in New York city. That's on Grubhub. Some of which again, not all restaurants actually participate in Grubhub willingly. Uh, they didn't have any time to prepare for this. So restaurants had so many orders that they couldn't keep up wasted a lot of food because people ended up waiting for their orders because I'm sorry, when $500 worth of food comes in, you're not going to get it in five minutes, uh, which is the expectation that, that these apps have set. And all of the bad karma or, or bad press and publicity from this didn't fall on Grubhub. It's not their fault that the restaurants couldn't keep up. It's the restaurant's fault. Something that they didn't participate in or didn't agree to participate in, I should say. Which I think that gets at another kind of shared characteristic between all of these companies, which is that basically they exist somewhere in usually California or somewhere like that. That That's where they're like technically registered or whatever, but you don't interact with the company. You interact with the driver, you interact with the delivery driver, you interact with the restaurant. Uh, whatever the actual service that you are being provided is, that's who you communicate with. But then when the company screws up, when the company makes mistakes, you can't find them anywhere. There's nobody to talk to. At best, you can tweet at them and maybe receive a message in which they tell you they can't do anything about you know whatever it is, that whatever problem you're having. And you're beginning to see that filter into other industries that weren't originally affected by this kind of tech grifting because it's really easy to it it makes it really easy to cut labor costs to provide worse service to just kind of pare everything down to the bone part of me when you're chasing the low expectations set by all of these companies i mean they 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 sort of exist completely outside of how we think about the goods and services that we purchase And as a result, 
like we we haven't trained ourselves to think in in this world in a lot of ways. And so restaurants get blamed for something they didn't do. When DoorDash takes a local service fee because your jurisdiction, your county, passed the laws regulating their other fees, you're more likely to be pissy at the county for regulating them than you are at DoorDash for being allowed to do that. Uh, I can't say what should happen when DoorDash does that uh, uh, on the air, but like it's it's at that point because, again, all they're doing is just running up the score, making sure that they get away with as much as they can before either – we just completely usher in the financialization of everything and basically make it impossible to work for anything but a middleman company or before they get regulated, which, you know, every limb possible crossed, but it's not going to happen. Not not with the country we have now. I, I think the point you made about expectations is a good one. I, I There's a term that's been thrown about uh, in an Atlantic article this morning, but it was used prior. Um called the Millennial Lifestyle Subsidy, which is effectively making the argument that over the last 10 years of this gig economy, uh, cheap Uber rides and cheap deliveries were subsidized by hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in venture capital that these companies pumped into companies like DoorDash and Uber, not expecting a profit right away, but expecting to muscle out the existing companies in the whatever field they were in. Uh, Uber has effectively replaced taxi rides in many cities. DoorDash and Grubhub are the way that most restaurants deliver now rather than relying on their own employees. And so to some extent, uh, consumers can feel like they don't really have an alternative now. And it is at this point now that Uber and Lyft and what have you are raising prices. Prices are far from what they were 10 years ago when these companies were just starting out and everybody was hyping them up as the big disruptors, the you know next great thing. It turns out that you can't actually reinvent the wheel. You do have to uh, make money at some stage in the process. Um, it helps, as we've seen, if you start with several billion dollars of it to begin with. Gee, why didn't I think of that? It's good work if you can find it. And and this gets to a point that we've made in the past, which is that sort of secondary objective of all this is to recreate these industries without labor regulations. You know, these companies famously are reliant on uh, quote unquote independent contractors who have all of the responsibilities of employees, but see none of the uh, benefits that employees expect, you know, minimum wage, healthcare benefits, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Prop 22 famously tried to enshrine that into law in California before being um, overturned by that state Supreme Court. So to a large extent, the money spent, the money that was uh, lost for companies like Uber and Lyft, et cetera, that never turned a profit over the last decade, that was money well spent. They succeeded in doing what they set out to do, which is to monopolize these markets. And now the money will be coming in all to them and not for any of the people that were originally there. Which is something we knew was a mode of existence. Like this is what Borders and Barnes and Noble were with bookstores, you know, and then Amazon went and took them on. 
So suddenly you had Barnes and Noble go from this monster to the beleaguered uh, physical brick and mortar bookstore out of nowhere. We've known that this has existed. We've known that this is the only kind of production valued by the capitalist system for decades. People have written about this. They've talked about it. But nothing stopped it because there was this idea that if you just deregulate everything, the market will sort it out. You know, we we will all go to whoever invented the the better mousetrap. And as it turned out that as it turns out, when you spend billions of dollars convincing everybody that the better mousetrap is to be found here. And then this metaphor is about to really go off the rails uh, and into another galaxy. But when you do that and everybody then does go onto the better mousetrap, you can then raise the prices of a better mousetrap and also make it worse and immiserate hundreds of thousands of people with the mousetrap, which I don't think is a thing that mousetraps generally do. But it, this was a cycle that was known and nothing was done to arrest it from happening again because it prof, because to arrest it would reduce profit, not even eliminate it, just reduce it for the people that matter in this world, which is nobody recording in this electronic room. Speaking of um, off the rails and into outer space, let's talk about Elon Musk. Uh, the world's richest man has uh, someone has to. It's relevant. Uh, the world's richest man has been in the news again the past week, uh, not simply for being the world's richest man, but for um, among other things, trying to buy Twitter or not buy Twitter or you know whatever he feels like tweeting out at any or given day. Alleged securities fraud. Yeah. I mean, potato, he does that potato. nearly daily. We're going to be talking a bit about one of his other companies, which is Tesla. Uh, you know, not famous for his company, by the way. Just just want to get that right up front. Not founded by Elon Musk. He that was yet another example of him jumping on somebody else's back. Yes, uh, Tesla. Uh, you know, another company with this sort of uh, disruptor ethos that you know they're going to take on the existing automotive powers and they're going to do it better and direct to consumer and all of these things that will be better for you and whatnot. Um, one thing that probably is not better for you is their self-driving software, which has come under heightened scrutiny. Um, one thing that's been noted is that uh, it's been found that this software seems to have a habit of shutting off moments before impact in crashes, um, which is you know speculated that might be a design feature to uh, absolve Tesla from responsibility for crashes that occur while the car is uh, quote-unquote self-driving. There are some flaws in the technology that um, Elon Musk has repeatedly year after year said that is just, you know, months away from really taking the streets, really being able to uh, replace existing driving as we know it. Um, as it stands in 2022, you know, the autopilot mode, uh, self-driving, whatever it's branded as, it's something that you still need to be behind the wheel and you are expected to be able to take over the wheel at any given moment, which uh, defeats much of the, you know, stated purpose and still has a nasty habit of viewing pedestrians as a cause to speed up, but that's another matter. Uh, so, yeah. so it's been... 
so it's been programmed with someone's see uh, someone's general shall we say adolescent sense of humor in mind in many ways yes yes uh, why would that and you be? you're you you've basically got a teenager serving as your autopilot program i do find it particularly interesting that as that not only do they assign all liability to the driver in any circumstance on top of that, they still feel the need to have the software shut itself off just before impact. Just in case the liability part changes, somehow, if that if <laughs> if Pete Buttigieg woke up tomorrow and decided that Tesla was actually liable for that, somehow they think they're going to be able to bring up in, in court of regulation, like, th- like that's the part that's going to make it stick. And not, you know, the fact that we have a Supreme Court that's beholden to rich people and to one justice's wife because she committed treason. Uh, And the fact that we have a a government and a regulatory apparatus that is entirely captured by rich people. That that's incredible. That's the, the level to which so much of this is done in a sneering, supercilious Again, adolescent very often because this is the exact kind of crap edgy teenagers, and I can say that as senior teen correspondent for punching out, this is the exact (laughs) kind of thing they think is funny. And I know that because when I bring up this kind of stuff to them, they go, so it's pretty obvious that the problem here is that the world's richest man is emotionally 14. And we all have to deal with that because as we've said before on this show, Wealth in this country and uh, being a boss in this country means that your psychological hangups become everybody else's psychological hangups. And no wonder Elon is perfect for this era of the United States because we're all regressing to our youth. And having the world's richest man be, again, a mental teenager is a perfect way to sum that up. The man is literally incapable of having a complex thought at this point. It's all, and and he carries the rest of the tech world with him because if he sneezes, everyone catches a cold. If if Elon Musk got COVID tomorrow and said, you know what, I feel great, this is awesome, you would see 15 different super spreaders around Silicon Valley within the hour of him tweeting it. You already see them, they would just get bigger. And everybody, and, and if he posted a video of himself hacking up a lung because of it, you would suddenly see a bunch of tech bros doing the same thing and making it into a challenge. So that that's the person we're operating with here. Um, it, just the absolute dumbest Bond villain in history. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, over the last half hour, it's been clear that there are a lot of problems in this field, this uh, quote unquote tech field. In our next segment, when we come back from a brief break, we're going to talk a bit about, you know, what's causing all that? Why is why are all of them like this? What's their deal? We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. Uh, 
We spent the first half hour of today's show talking about uh, the various failings of the tech companies that have come to replace taxis and delivery companies in this comp- country. Um, and now we're going to talk a bit more about the ethos that guides them and sort of how that ethos hasn't really come to fruition and why that might be. Um, I, I think a good place to start with this discussion is um, I mentioned a bit at the top of the show how um, you know cryptocurrency is crashing today and had been crashing for several weeks now. There's an article from The New Yorker back in May uh, by John Cassidy called The Great Crypto Grift May Be Unwinding, where he lays out all of the ways in which these various frauds and scams were coming undone at that time, and they've only come more undone since. Cryptocurrency sort of the um, the poster child for all of this industry because, as we were saying about uh, you know the DoorDashes and all these other companies, crypto doesn't really do anything. It's there to make money. It's there to be something that you speculate on and in theory come out the other end richer. Oh, hold on, hold but, on. And and buy drugs with. Can't forget that part. Yes. And hey, they also do something that really is unique to them and that is steel art just wholesale. Oh no, that's not unique. The the uniqueness okay, is sorry. that they the uniqueness is the part where you can't get your art back. And then are condescendingly told that maybe you should have turned it into an NFT first. That's the new bit. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. That's the disruption. <laughs> Point is, not a fan. We're not fans of this. Bold take. We did give a genius award to the idea of NFTs last year. Um, right. I think we've been proven right in that assessment. I, I was going to say that the primary thing that most people with cryptocurrency buy with their cryptocurrency is like American dollars on the other mm-hmm. end. It's the sole goal for most people investing, you know, if you can call it investing in these markets, you know, they're trying to get rich quick. And that has been what has been sold through a variety of Matt Damon ads and uh, sports arena sponsorships. Over uh, the I, past several I months. notice. I notice we're just letting Larry David get off the hook here. Yes, yes, I for, I forgot about him as well. Yeah, um, it, it's fine. Just wanted to make sure, you know, if we go after if we go after the Boston, I can't think of a word that won't get us fined. We also have to go again about the New York one as well. <laughs> That's balance. That's right. <laughs> Both sides of the of the rivalry. Never let it be said that punching out is not unbiased. That's there right. In all seriousness, though, the, the thing about crypto, I mean, it, it's very hard to say in all seriousness and then mention crypto because it is a fundamentally unserious enterprise. But like the reason why they've been able to get away with this for so long and, you know, like this is this crash and crypto in general being the huge just bigger fool scam that it is that has real world effects right now the country of el salvador is turning into a complete police state because president f boy 
uh, Nayib Bukele, or however the hell it's pronounced, because I don't know what Spanish did to that name in the first place, um, decided to turn the country into a crypto refuge. I mean, he was, uh, Eric Adams is taking his salary in Bitcoin. This man was turning the entire economy over. And you mentioned, you know, most people with Bitcoin, what they do with it is buy American dollars. Guess what El Salvador's other currency is? So they have no way to fix anything now. And Bukala is putting tens of thousands of people in jail for whatever reason. Meanwhile, Brock Pierce, who is running for Senate against Bernie Sanders in Vermont, question mark, is also trying to crypto colonize Puerto Rico. We talked about on this show how he tried to start a thing that was originally going to be called Portopia. And somebody had to point out to him that in dog Latin and Greek, that means boy playground. And then they changed its name to Seoul. These are the people you're dealing with. These are your crypto heroes, okay? These are the the big names that are not already, you know, Peter Thiel and Mark Andreessen and, like, established tech overlords who, like, want your blood if you're under 25 and stuff like that. And the result of all of this is that we have the most obvious naked grift in all of this tech stuff. Again, 72-point air quotes are on tech, but I guess in this case it kind of matters. And the reason why this article by John Cassidy is so perfect is because it illustrates why this grift succeeds. Because in an article talking about what a grift it is, Cassidy still feels the need to say something like this. And I'm quoting here, Despite the proliferation of scams and the fact that drug dealers and extortionists have long been among the most enthusiastic adopters of Bitcoin, Side note, that's the crowd you want to attract. It would be unfair to dismiss the entire crypto phenomenon as a fraud. Some of the early enthusiasts, and perhaps even the original developer of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever she, he, or they are, seem to have genuinely believed in the vision of a peer-to-peer monetary system that would replace fiat money. The goal of disintermediating major financial institutions, and eliminating or at least sharply reducing some of their onerous fees remains a worthy one. No, none of that was the point. This, and uh, just now seeing on social media people going out of their way to say, oh, it was influenced by Occupy. Oh, it was influenced by distrust of financial institutions. So were a lot of other things that are not massive fraud. But for some reason, none of them get any kind of attention compared to crypto. It's almost like what matters is the hypercapitalization. Like what matters is the fact that it is a grift, that you get rich at other people's expense. Because this country has sold you the lie that in this zero-sum game, you can somehow win. That you might be the next Elon Musk, that you might be the next Peter Thiel, that you might be the next Bill Gates or Bezos or whoever. And then it tells you a BS story about how they got where they are. And the result of all of that is you have people climbing all over each other, not themselves, to try and get rich. And none of it is going to work because none of them is starting with a bunch of seed money. So this is a ridiculous way to approach this problem. And yet, Despite that, every single day, people that I think are generally sane go out of their way to give, like, to to hand it to crypto? A thing you absolutely, under no circumstances, have to do? It It's so mystifying. It's been said before, and by 
people much smarter than I am, but crypto is just beanie babies for tech bros or a pyramid scheme, your uh, Lululemons for tech bros. That's all it is. And it's so blatant. Like it's so very obvious that, yeah, Noah, I understand your frustration with it because it like, there's no part of it that seems legitimate that it's just a whole bunch of people who are upset that they didn't have a billion dollar idea or didn't have that way to do that, that they created the system where they can convince other people to give them money for literally nothing. Like this is not tied to anything. It's just numbers in a computer that is also incidentally killing our planet even faster. Like it is dumb at every single level. And the fact that so many people bought into it literally is alarming and does make me think that other people live in a different reality. And I I don't know what that's like. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. I, I think if you want it to be charitable to the people who bought in and you don't necessarily have to, but I, I think Noah was onto something with the idea that uh, crypto and a, a lot of these other um, sort of exploits are selling the idea that there's a way around uh, the drudgery of working for a living for 40 years and then retiring. Uh, maybe, you know, people recognize that, uh, you know, all of the things that we've said are wrong and unpleasant about work for five years on this show. Uh, you know, that's obvious to this new generation, to our generation of millennials, to Gen Zers below us. And naturally they're going to try and find uh, ways out of that because why wouldn't you? Um, unfortunately, when the ways out that you are offered is one of sort of this individual liberty, this uh, rise to the top and, you know, who cares about the people burned along the way? That's not, going to uh, work for most people. That's going to just leave more people dealing with the drudgery and might enrich a select few. Uh, the Bitcoin proponents are very uh, eager to point out those who have gotten rich off the get rich quick schemes as if, you know, that's not the point, but you know, that can't be everybody. And in net, it's going to be very, small group of them. Yeah. And the problem is that what it encourages ultimately it's see Lou, I think you are correct that people that maybe were not living in the same reality, everybody else is in, because I think one thing that made it very obvious that this is a scam is that if I approach something and it continually tells me how smart I am for being involved with it, I immediately flip the red flag up. It immediately makes me think, you are lying to me because you would not need to flatter my ego this much to get me involved in whatever your thing is if you were not a scam, if there was an act, if there was, if there was beef there, so to speak. And See, I'm just bad at taking compliments. But that's the thing, though, right? You were saying if you want to be charitable, people have recognized that work sucks, Right. One of the other things that our society does is it tells you, if you're not rich, you're nothing. You're useless. You're spam. You're, you're a waste of space. You will be ground up into, you know, little pieces and fed to, you know, 
uh, uh, cows or whatever the heck we now have to feed growth hormone to. And it is very in that in that mind space. It is attractive to see something go. Hey, you get it. You get in on the ground floor of this. You're you're a real genius. You're you're a real brain saint for getting involved with this. So I do get that. I do understand that. But at the same time, if you look at the players in this market, they are all people who are already rich. The number of people who've gotten rich quick, for the most part, managed to do it by already having some money that they could put into the market and then take it out before it crashed. Because at this point, cryptocurrency has been on, is setting a Guinness World Record for pack watch time. It, I mean, we've been at this for months waiting for it to fall apart. It's the Ottoman Empire of tech products. And the the result of all that is you have a lot of people who bought into it and are going to stick with it because they don't see where else to go. It's a sunk cost fallacy. And what are your other options? The stock market, which is the same crap. It just is. It's just slightly better regulated. And I do mean slightly because... If you know anything about how we regulate the stock market in this country, you might actually um, pitch a fit. Yeah, it is also a scam, just to be clear. Like, there's just nothing. There's the drudgery or there's organizing to make the drudgery go away. And people don't want to do that part because, A, it's hard. And I do recognize that. I'm not saying that that's not legitimate. It is difficult, obviously, or it would have happened already. And two... Because I think for a lot of people, it's not that they want everyone to have a better life. It's they want to have a better life and everyone else to have a worse one than they do. And that's the problem. Because ultimately, American culture respects the grifter because it respects selfishness as the main value. That is what American culture talks about. That's why the American Revolution is a bunch of dudes who were angry about paying taxes and... and um and wanted to continue owning slaves while writing about freedom. Because the only chief virtue of this country ever has been selfishness. And you are rewarded for practicing it in your private and public lives. As a result, crypto's perfect as a scam for, for Americans because it doesn't it, half the work is done for it already. It is in the richest petri dish it could possibly be in. And the evidence is all around us. This is a scam that is using the equivalent energy consumption of Argentina at this point. Is that good? No, probably not. Um, when we come back from this break, we'll try to find a something that is good out of all of this. We'll try to find a way to sum up our discussion here in a positive spin and uh, leave you not depressed when you end this episode. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Stonks. And Lou. Hey, guys. Uh, We spent the first 50 minutes or so of today's episode talking about uh, the various tech grifts that are all becoming increasingly obvious and clear. 
over the last few months um, from DoorDash to the cryptocurrency economy to Uber and Elon Musk. Um, all of these people are, you know, trying to grift in one way or another. And I think the uh, positive spin we can take from this episode is that uh, more people are taking notice. More people are writing articles like the, the ones we cited for the, this episode, for, you know, about how Tesla not really living up to its promises. Neither is his tunneling company. What's up with that? And you're seeing articles about how um, Uber prices are no longer what they once were because they're no longer being subsidized to the degree they once were. And actually, you can get a taxi cheaper than an Uber in many American cities. Um, So I I think the positive angle here is that people recognize this stuff. You know, it's no longer being accepted uncritically. Yeah, but here's the thing. People are still using Uber. Instead of taxis, you know, they're still not willing to go look up a cab company. They're still not willing to try and use the established service much the same way, despite the spate of articles asking you to please, for the love of God, just go find out what the phone number of your favorite restaurant is and call them there and ask them how they would like to do delivery and that sort of thing. People generally don't do that because it's not as easy and it's not as convenient. But this is the third segment, so let me turn that frown upside down here. The positive side of this is that there are people doing things about it that might actually have the power to do so. I wasn't joking when I said Pete Buttigieg might decide tomorrow that actually Tesla is liable for autopilot stuff because the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, boy, that's a mouthful, is actually looking at Tesla's autopilot program. Like, that's why we brought it up. Over at the National Labor Relations Board, Jennifer Abruzzo has made noises about possibly reclassifying some kinds of gig workers as employees, even in defiance of things like Proposition 22. There are bills right now, pardon me, in Congress, as we brought up earlier, that would ban certain shady practices that uh, Google and Apple and a number of other companies do that supposedly have brought bipartisan support, but that senators especially are trying to delay because they don't want to be caught out defying the tech industry, essentially. They don't want to give uh, Silicon Valley giants time to fund opponents. Yes. Uh, it's not that they want to be you know caught out or caught by surprise. It's that they fear the inevitable response from these tech companies will be to you know fund waves of ads against them. Um uh, there's an article in prospect.org just this morning, June 13th, by David Dayen, uh, highlighting the lobbying campaign underway from companies like Google uh, against um, a couple bills that are in Congress, uh, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act and the Open App Markets App, uh, which effectively would uh, disallow these companies from prioritizing their own products when offering a marketplace. Uh, Amazon has its Amazon basics uh, line of goods for really whatever good you might think to buy office supplies, especially. Um, And currently they are free to highlight those at the top of whenever you search for USB cables or paper. And this bill would prevent them from doing so. It would make them like source 
paper from, you know, the companies that make paper and not themselves. This is a small step. This wouldn't, you know, bankrupt Amazon. Yet, nevertheless, companies like Amazon are going to uh, fight like hell to prevent it from passing. And, you know, the fact that it seems to have some measure of bipartisan support is probably good. But we know that even bipartisan support isn't necessarily enough for something to actually get done in Congress. But this is the positive segment. So let's pretend. Yeah. And there is something to, you know, nobody's really looked into if there's a direct correlation or not. But the more we have gig workers and the more people are being exploited by these tech graft organizations, the more people are seem to be interested in unions. I think it's related. It may not be, but it's something. We're staying positive, folks. I... I do think there's something to that in the sense that, you know, disruption cuts two ways. If you destroy what's left of labor policy and labor infrastructure in the country, uh, I've said this before, like these, especially Zoomers and younger millennials, you're not growing up in an era where unions were powerful. You're just not. It's just not the same. And so you can't uh, like when older people talk about, oh my God, Jimmy Hoffa or, you know, George Meany or Samuel Gompers or any of these people. You're like, who the hell, like, are these Muppets? Who the hell are any of these people? You, it, It's, it, there's, there's a disconnect there because for so long, the effort was to paint unions as arms of organized crime and so on. And so you did have people that that worked on, but that's gone now. That, that is out of living memory. The one time our terrible history education system maybe works, fingers crossed, in our favor. And so now you've got a chance to maybe win some hearts and minds with the concept of organized labor that you didn't already. Um, I, 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 do, I do think there's a lot to be said for the fact that, you know, Starbucks and Amazon are two of the biggest unionizing efforts underway. And... Um, they they've taken very different approaches to that Amazon much more traditionally. So, but Amazon also treats its workers much worse in the traditional ways. Um, you know, Starbucks does, does a whole lot of 21st century. No, we're partners. And uh, we, we try to be nice by giving you higher wages than, than normal and whatnot. And Amazon is just, we're, we're going to make you pee in a bottle. So when you have that combination, I, I do think that's pretty potent. I do think you can see, where people become interested in, hey, maybe in defiance of all of these selfishness-based scams, maybe we organize together, things will get better. I've been uh, holding this in now for two minutes since Noah said it, but uh, Samuel Gompers really is a Muppet-ass name. Um, That's where I got the joke, yeah. As is often the case, I'm punching out, we don't have a clear victory to... um, send you home with, you know, if you're listening. Um, We don't have uh, something to really properly celebrate, but we do have perhaps the inkling that things might be better in the future, that people might be recognizing that the way things are is actually bad and doesn't have to be the way things continue to be. Um, And as always, we have to take solace in that fact. For this week, I'm Ryan. You're muted. I am looted. I'm low. I was Noah. This is punching out.
You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.